we all have different kinds of traditions as families. And um, in my family growing up, we had a a tradition. Um, It was more of a routine, and it was pretty predictable. I'd be sitting in the living room. I'd be reading a book, maybe working on homework, or maybe just reading a book for fun. And um, just like clockwork, I could hear my mom from the kitchen say, "Um, Laura, would you please set the table? And I knew, or sometimes, you know, she was talking to my sister, but lots of times it was me. And, um, you know, and I knew that that was not an option. That was not something that I could just ignore. That was a command to be followed, right? And sometimes I followed that command or that request a little bit more quickly than others. You know, sometimes I, I didn't hear. I was engrossed in that book, and I didn't hear. And, you know, she'd say it again. Hey, Laura, would you please set the table? Well, setting the table involved going into the kitchen and, and taking down plates from the cupboard and setting them on the table. There were four of us in the family. Mom and Dad always got the big plates. My sister and I got the little plates. Mom and Dad, you know, they got the, the long forks. My sister and I, we got the salad forks. And we put the, I'd put the, um, the spoon and the fork on the, the right side of the, or the spoon and the knife, good grief, on the right side of the plate, the fork on the left. Sometimes I would remember the napkin, but it didn't really matter because they were, right, they were hanging right there on the wall. Everybody usually sat in the same place, at least mom and dad did. Mom sat, you know, with her back to the dishwasher. Dad sat across from her. And then there was a seat on the other side of mom that was kind of tucked back in the corner. And you'd, if you were sitting in that seat, you'd have your back against the cupboards, and on your, on your left-hand side would be a window, and on the right-hand side would be mom. And it was kind of cozy. It was kind of nice. And then there was a, there was a seat on the other side of the table that it wasn't so cozy, but it was easier to get into. And um, you, we'd sit... You sit beside Dad there, and the back door was right there. Um, so I guess if you were in trouble, it was a fast escape. But I mean, that never happened. Um, you know, but it was the same way every day, every night, night after night after night. Uh, Laura, Lisa, would you please set the table? And, you know, always the same, always the same dishes, always the same. You know, we sit down and eat, share a meal together. You know, every once in a while, though, company would drop in. And there would be more people. And we'd move into the dining room. And then we'd, you know, it was, hey, would you please get out the white dishes? You know, or maybe it was, um, if, if some, if, you know, if, if it was a really special event, maybe it was, you know, would you please get out the china? You know, that had been my mom's parents. And, you know, you spread the tablecloth and set it. And, and then it's not just, you know, it's not just that Lisa and I got the, the little fork. We got two forks. We got a salad fork and a big fork and... You know, you might have a bread plate there, and you might have a goblet, and, you know, you have to make sure that you're setting the the plate just an inch from the table, and, yeah, I knew how to do it. I don't don't do that today. Uh, You know, if I get food on the table, if the table is set and we're actually sitting at the table right now, that's amazing, you know, Um, as opposed to, you know, sitting in a chair in the living room someplace because the dining room table is covered. I'm, I'm just being completely honest here. All right, you know, and if, and if I have, you know, if we're having leftovers, you know, if we're actually eating together, 
and we're having leftovers as opposed to, I mean, we don't go through, we don't go to fast food restaurants, but, you know, if we're actually eating together and having leftovers or having sandwiches or something, that's a win, right? Just, just eating and eating together. Um, that's a win. And, you know, God invites us to eat. Um, he invites us to belly up to the table and to eat. And he gives us food. And the food that he gives us is not just any food, but it's, it's his word. And he invites us to eat, to belly up and to eat. And you know, there are all different kinds of ways to eat. We don't have to have plates to eat. But, you know, it's a lot easier to eat at least I find it a lot easier to eat spaghetti if I have a plate and if I have a fork as opposed to not having a plate or a fork. I know a couple that they would sometimes have company over and they would cover the, they would cover the table with plastic and then the, they'd invite their company to sit down and the wife would come out of the kitchen with a pot of spaghetti and she would just dump it on the table and then invite everybody to dig in. It was their joke. It was their joke to their company. But I mean, that's kind of difficult, isn't it? I don't really enjoy eating spaghetti with my fingers. And, you know, if I don't have a glass set out, you know, how do you drink milk? Well, out of the jug. Well, I mean... I don't really want to just be like, here. You know, I want to be able to, you know, pour a glass and here, would you like some milk? And here, you know, it's a lot easier to share, right? Yeah. So um, today, so we're in, a, we're in a little series here about how to belly up to the Bible, how to eat our Bibles. And maybe you've never been in the habit of reading your Bible, or maybe you've been in the habit of reading your Bible and you've gotten out of it, or maybe you read it every day. I don't know. Um, but... But we're looking at how to, we're talking about how to read our Bibles, how to belly up to the Bible and to eat the Word of God. And so we have a table, and we talked about the table last week, and um, I'm not going to talk about it today, but we got a table. And um, we've got some things to put on the table. We've got a plate. And we've got some things to, to eat our meal with. We've got a knife and a spoon and a fork. We've got a glass for the milk. Um, and this, this plate represents something called context. Um, I don't know if you've heard the phrase before, but it goes like this, a text, you know, or a piece of writing, a sentence, anything. A text without a context is a pretext for anything you want it to mean or anything you want it to say. Have, can you think of politicians that have said something, you know, in one context, and then a reporter or maybe their... Um, person they're running against has grabbed that and taken it completely out of context and quoted them 
Or maybe that's happened to you. Or maybe you've like just caught a snippet of someone of what someone was saying. You didn't hear the whole thing and you're, you've gotten offended. You know, or you're like, ooh. And then later on you find out, oh, they were actually planning a surprise birthday party for me. You know, or, or something like that. But a text without a context is a pretext for anything we want it to mean. A plate or context is important. And when we sit down and we read scripture, one of the things that helps us in reading scripture and understanding scripture is to be aware of the context of scripture. And there are two different types of contexts of scripture that I want to talk about today. And that might sound kind of school-like, but it doesn't have to, have to be. I mean, this is basic, like, everyday stuff that helps us. Um, so the first type of context is what I call, or what we might call the literary context, which basically means that we're aware of the neighborhood of the passage. We're aware of where the plate is sitting, of where the passage is sitting. So if you hear the phrase, three blind mice, what comes to mind? A nursery rhyme. It's a nursery rhyme, right? Three blind mice, see how they run, see how they run. They all run after the farmer's wife who cut off their tail with a far carving knife. Um, oh, and then how does it go? I forgot it. Sign in your life as three blind mice. Yeah. But now if somebody from another culture or somebody who wasn't familiar with that nursery rhyme, who'd never heard that nursery rhyme before, heard that, three blind mice, what might they think about? Think about it out of context because they've never heard it before. They don't know the context. And the literary context of a passage of scripture is just that. It's like thinking about, okay, um, it's, it's the pass. It's, we have you know, a small verse or something, then it's looking at the chapter that it's in, maybe looking at the book that it's in, and then getting out larger to the context of thinking about the whole story of God, all of scripture and thinking about how God has worked with his people um, through all time and space. I mean, that's, that's the context of the passage. Maybe of that little pile of peas on your plate. You know, it's, there's a context to it, a literary context to it. It's important. Um, maybe some of you have heard of the book of Job. And Job loses everything, just like that. He's a man of wealth. He's got children, lots of children. He's married. He's got a wife. He doesn't lose his wife, but he loses all of his children. He loses all of his wealth. He's sitting there um, in a pile of ashes, uh, destitute. He's got boils and sores on his body. He's scraping those sores with broken pieces of pottery. And his friends come and they sit with him and they sit with him for like three days without saying anything. They just sit with him, just to be there to comfort him. I mean, how many of us would go and sit with a friend just to, for three days just to be there? <laughs> you would. I know you would. Uh, just to sit there and comfort them. I mean, these are not bad friends. But after a while, they get a little frustrated with Job, and they start lecturing him, and they start telling him about where he's gone wrong and what God thinks about this or that. They start correcting him. And this goes on for a couple chapters in Job. 
And then at the very end of Job, do you know what happens? God shows up. And to almost every single friend who's told Job this or that, God says, you don't know what you're talking about. He corrects them. He corrects Job's friends. Now, if we were to just take one piece of Job, where one of Job's friends is talking and giving them advice, and we would take that and, and, and feel like God was using that to speak to our lives somehow and apply it to our lives without knowing the larger context of Job, or we might take it and share it with a friend who's going through a difficult circumstance. That would be even better, wouldn't it? You know, share it with a friend who's going through a difficult circumstance. Here, this is what the book of Job says without realizing that God later corrects that friend who said that? Do you see what the damage that could be done? Context is important. Um, I don't know if any of you have, have people that you know, or maybe this is you, where maybe you, know, you were growing up and Scripture was taken out of context to discipline you. Or maybe you know somebody who were... Scripture was quoted out of context to discipline them as a child. And, and maybe they've, they don't set foot in the church anymore. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with the church, and, and they don't want to have anything to do with God because Scripture was yanked out of context and used to discipline them, used to correct them in ways that Scripture was never used to discipline them or correct them. So context is important. So there's, there's a literary context. And then there's also what we call the, the cultural or historical context. And I know, again, that sounds like school. Um, but it doesn't have to be. This is like real-world stuff. This is stuff that we, we deal with every day of our lives. We just don't even think about it. Um, so scripture, the Bible... Sometimes we just look at it as one book, but it's made up of many different books. You know, it was written over hundreds of years, written by people in many different cultures, in many different places. And so when we read scripture, it's helpful for us to remember that the person who wrote what we're reading and the people that they wrote it to we're in a culture and a time that is completely different than our culture and time. And yet, you know what we often do when we read scripture? We often forget that. And we often sit here like this. You know, and it never gets in our mouths because we're so busy looking at ourselves when we read Scripture and reading Scripture as we understand it, you know, as we would understand it in our culture, forgetting that it was written in a completely different time and a diff completely different culture. And so one of the things that, that we can do when we read Scripture is to actually take this and, and try to lay this down. Now, it's, it's impossible for us to, to really get back and to completely understand the culture and the time in which you know, a particular message was written. 
But sometimes the only thing, sometimes I shouldn't say the only thing, but sometimes one of the things we need to do is just remember. This scripture was written in a completely different time in a completely different place in a completely different culture than I live in. And what might have been the things that these people were dealing with? What might have their culture been like? And it changes things. I'll give you an example. There's a a passage in Romans um, that says this. It says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. This is in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 19. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, you know, you read that passage and you're like, oh, well, it's up to God to repay. So, you know, we're heaping burning coals. You know, so by being nice, you're actually being mean. Have you ever read the passage that way or heard it preached that way or described that way? The culture of this passage, you know, it's different. It's written in the, in the Middle East, you know, after Jesus had been on this earth. And it was written in a time when, you know, you couldn't just go and turn on the stove You couldn't just go and turn on the heat. If you wanted to cook your food or you wanted to stay warm, you needed a fire. You needed coals. And you needed some way, you know, to start a fire. So when the passage says you will heat burning coals on his head, it's actually meaning you're going to take coals from your fire and you're going to put them on the head because they would carry things on their heads. You know, just like people, you've seen women carrying, you know, buckets of water on their heads and things like that. They carry fire sometimes on their heads. They had a way of, I mean, they wouldn't just put it right there. They had something that they'd hold it in like a jar or something, and they could carry it. You're taking coals from your own fire and giving them to your neighbor, your, your enemy even, whose fire has gone out so that they can take those coals back to their house or to their tent or wherever it is that they're living and they can start their own fire and they can cook their food and they can stay warm. You're giving them life. It actually fits with the entire context, the entire literary context of the passage. I'm going to read it again. Listen to it. Do not take revenge, my friends, But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, don't give your enemy what he or she deserves. Give them life. Give them the ability to sustain themselves. You see how context is important? A text without a context is a pretext for anything we want it to say, anything we want it to mean. 
So God invites us to his word. He invites us to to belly up to his word. And how do we do that? We do it first by sometimes just, we just need to do it. I woke up this morning and I thought, you know what? It's time to get up. It's time to go downstairs. It's time to get out my phone. And it's time to read my Bible. Because I've got, I've got the Bible on my phone. Now, I don't always like doing that. There's something about actually having the Bible in your hand that I like. But there's also something handy about this, too. And you know what? If you have a, if you have a phone... You know, there are different apps that you can get for free. There's the Bible app. And if, if you have a hard time seeing even, you know, I've got the Bible app on my phone here. I downloaded it for free. It's the U version. And you know, something that's kind of cool is I can go here and I can go to, to Genesis and I can go to Genesis chapter 1 and there's a little play button down here at the bottom. I can listen to scripture. And you know, sometimes if I'm working in the kitchen or I'm driving, I like to do just that. You know? Listen to it. You know, I've known people that, you know, they can't see anymore but they can go and they can push that button and they can listen to scripture. That's one good thing about that contraption. Or maybe it's, you know, just taking your Bible and just sitting down, just creating a a quiet place just to sit and read. You know, sometimes we we just need to do it. We just need to eat. And then as we eat, just being aware, you know what? This would be a lot easier to read if I was aware, if I put this on a plate. You know, if I was aware of the context. If I was aware of what's around it. So if I'm reading a, a verse to back out and maybe read the verses around it. Or maybe, you know, take a little bit of extra time and sit down and read a whole book of scripture. All in one sitting. You know what? You can take the book of Job. And you can read it. You know, in two, three hours or a day or break it up however you want to do it um, but be aware of of the of the literary context of the passages around it of the book that it's in and then of you know the whole story of God of all of scripture as you read that passage and then just remember you know so often when we read we just need to remember you know what I, I think I might be holding a mirror up can I just Acknowledge the fact that I have a mirror in my hand and put it down as best I can. I'm not going to be able to get rid of it entirely because I can't get rid of myself entirely. God doesn't want me to. But put it down and just be aware that I have that. And, and just remember that, you know, this, this passage that I'm reading was written by people in a completely different time and place than mine. And, and what 
I might initially think something means might not be what it actually means. And then just pray and ask God to help us understand. If we get more and more into it, and as we read Scripture more and more, you know, we start picking up things and we start understanding things about those different cultures. You know, um, and there are other studies and other things you can do, but sometimes it's just that simple knowledge. You know what? I'm holding a mirror, and this particular writing was written to somebody in a completely different culture and place than my own. Sometimes that's just all it takes is just just us being humble and just thinking, okay, what? You know what? I just need to you know stop and just remember the context what's around it, and that it was written to people in a completely different time in a completely different place. And we just open ourselves up to God and ask God to teach us what things mean. Ask God to feed us. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. Let's pray.